So do be seated. Kunal is going to come and bring uh, reading. We're in a mini-series at the moment focused on encountering God through his creation. And we're particularly thinking this morning about the way in which all of God's creation is sacred. Cool. The reading is from Ezekiel chapter 34, beginning at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourself with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals. But you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd, and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but care for themselves rather than for my flock, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search my sheep and look after them as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sick and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. 
as for you, my flock, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I will judge between one sheep and another, and between rams and goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clear water? Must you also muddy the rest of your feet? Must my flock feed on what you have trampled and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you've driven them away. I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them, and rid the land of savage peace, so that they may live in the wilderness and sleep in the forests in safety. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So James is going to be helping us to reflect on that passage. Uh, You may not all have uh, met James or spoken to him before. He and his wife, uh, Julie. James has a real passion um, for the environment and for God's creation. And it's great that he's going to be sharing with us now. So let me just pray for you, James. As, uh, as you stand up here. Father, thank you uh, for James. Thank you for all that you've done in his life, for the heart that you've given him for your world. And I pray, Lord God, that you would speak through him in the power of your spirit now. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning, everybody. It's good to be here. Thank you, uh, Ku, for that reading. It was uh, rather long. Um, It contains a lot and ends in some of the most beautiful language I know of in the Bible. I've got a big topic to cover in the next few minutes. I want to look at what we can learn from Ezekiel's teaching in terms of our climate emergency that we're living through now. Uh, It's a lot to cover, but he's got a lot to say to us. So we know that the climate emergency is becoming ever more real. The scientists have been uh, predicting where we are today, and in fact, we're exceeding some of their worst case predictions. So what can we do about it? We're Christians. How can we respond in a distinctive, positive, um, and encouraging manner to our world? So let's go back to the time of Ezekiel, two and a half millennia ago. Ezekiel was a priest in the tiny nation of Judah, which was facing its own existential threat. A threat 
to its very existence, following its destruction and deportation of most of its people, following its loss to, to the Babylon Empire. But Ezekiel taught four things that we can apply to our lives today. He taught that we need to diagnose the cause of the calamity. We need to take personal responsibility and we need to be faithful to God. And then most of all, perhaps, we need to hold on to the deliverance that God has promised, even though things look bleak. So Ezekiel was living in about 600 BC, the late Iron Age. And Judah was a tiny country in the northern part of what is Israel today, with its capital in the southeast in Jerusalem. It was small, its population wasn't much bigger than our parish here in Down End. Maybe something like 30 or 40,000 people. Really, really tiny. It had been overrun by the um, growing empire of Babylon, uh, ruled over by the ruthless king Nebuchadnezzar that we've all heard of. Nebuchadnezzar took the leadership of Judah, the religious leaders, the economic leaders, and the political leaders into slavery in Babylon, south of where modern-day Baghdad is. And all that was left in uh, Judah was a few of the poorer people to um, tend the fields under suffrage of its new rulers. So this was devastating for this country. Not only were they taken into slavery, but they believed that God had uh, covenanted Judah to them. And even worse than that, they believed that their God, Yahweh, he lived exclusively in the temple in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem had been sieged, ransacked, and destroyed. So where is Yahweh now? And that's something in the early teachings of um, Ezekiel. He's teaching the Israelites that God doesn't just live in Jerusalem. He lives in our hearts. He lives in the whole world. If we read in verse 5, Ezekiel says, So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. We have a devastated nation. But God didn't leave them on their own. He sent three of the greatest prophets in Israel's history. Contemporaries of Ezekiel Ezekiel was, was teaching to the disparate uh, in, uh, in Babylon. But we had Jeremiah, who was told by God to stay in Jerusalem. And we also had Daniel, who was an official in the court of Babylon. So we had these three great prophets teaching to the Israelites. But he taught them that we need to have ownership. We need to understand what was the cause that led to this calamity? What was the downfall? And we read in uh, 
chapter 5, firstly, that it was because of their disobedience. And part of that disobedience was because they were very poorly led by the kings of Judah. In chapter 5, he says, the sovereign Lord says this, you have been more unruly than, than the other nations around you and have not followed my decrees or kept my laws. You have not even conformed to the standards of the nations around you. How damning is that? And in verse two of the passage that Ku has just read to us, the sovereign Lord says, woe to you shepherds of Israel who have only taken care of yourselves. Should not the shepherds take care of the flock? So he's quite um, explicit on what the cause is. Now let us fast forward to our present time, 2,600 years later. We have our climate emergency. Euphemistically, it's often referred to as climate change. But in July this year, we had the hottest day since records began. Almost certainly that means the hottest day in 120,000 years. And then we had a hotter day the day after, and we had a hotter day the day after that, and then the fourth day we had an even hotter day. And that didn't make any headlines. We're currently in uh, El Nino cycle. So this is this 10 or 12 year cycle that happens in the Pacific Ocean that causes global heating. We're in the first year. Almost certainly next year is going to be hotter as the cycle um, becomes stronger. And I think we all know when we read in our newspapers that we've had wildfires uh, in Canada, in Greece, in Siberia. We've had devastating floods. Uh, we've had uh, hurricanes. And we've had famine as a result. Um, Chris and Ali will be able to tell you that if you're in northern Uganda right now, it's very, very difficult to become a farmer uh, because of the very arid uh, um, environment at the moment, which has only got worse. We know in a parochial sense, any of us who are gardeners, that the seasons have changed in the last few decades. In the last 20 years, I believe spring has come forward in this part of the country by about six days, which is huge in the scale of the environment. Now, less parochially, the UN has predicted that by 2050, which is less than 30 years from now, there will be one billion climate migrants. About one-eighth of the world will not be able to live where they're born because of the climate. That's really quite terrifying. So what's the cause of this? Some people would like to think that it's still debatable. But the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Emergency, the um, panel set up by the world's uh, governments, in 2018, just before Paris, so five years ago, they stated in their report, global warming has continued unabated, and we have witnessed an acceleration in sea level rise. Emissions of greenhouse gases due to human activity, the root cause of global warming, continue to increase year after year. So we know what the cause is. We don't need to debate it any further. We have responsibility.
So I'm sorry. This is dawn news on a Sunday morning. I am frightened. But how should we respond? We're Christian people. We believe in the God of the universe, the God who created the universe. We need to respond distinctively, decisively, and hopefully. Let's go back to what Ezekiel taught us all those years ago. He says we need to take personal responsibility. And scientists tell us probably the three things that we can all do individually is eat less meat, travel less, particularly fly less, and consume less overall. Now, I'm not going to uh, suggest to you how you should judge those and how you should handle those. But I think any of us who have the privilege of economic choice and discretionary spending have more responsibility than those who don't. So, should we all become ascetics? Should we all become vegan? I'm not. I have huge respect for those who do. But actually, I think we need to be more positive. People don't like to be told what they can't do. And that brings us on to Ezekiel's second point, which is faithfulness to God. Now, faithfulness is often thought about as um, spiritual um, behavior and and moral um, examples, but actually I think it's also to do with God's creation. God created the whole world. Can we say God, God is over here, hence creation is over here, and they don't meet? It's a continuum. It is attitude to God's creation. A few years ago, I watched uh, a very interesting documentary about the um, indigenous um, uh, North American tribes who lived on the west coast of what is now um, uh, the US and Canada. And for millennia, they um, hunted whales sustainably. In their belief systems, they had great reverence for the whales. And they only took the whales that they needed to keep their communities going. And from those whales, they took just about everything. They took the blubber, they took the meat, they took the skin, and they used them for their society. Now, we compare them, and I'm being very simplistic here, if we compare them to how the Western Christian um, handled the whales when they started fishing them in the North Atlantic, maybe about... 300 years ago, it was, thanks God, here's you provided for us, we will go and slaughter the whales. And next year we'll come back in larger ships and take even more. And typically they would just take the um, parts of the whale that were economically of high value and the the rest was left. Very different attitudes to God's creation. And then we hear our Prime Minister talking about uh, pumping every last drop of our oil reserves. Which side of those is that? Are we treating God's creation as sacred? Perhaps the most important part of God's creation are the people. What about all of the migrants that we have today in the world? What about all of those that we're going to have 
in future years? How are we going to tend for God's sheep scattered across the mountains? Now, I don't think any sane person thinks that we shouldn't have rigorous but fair immigration policies. But can we empathize with these people who've been um, caused to become migrants? Or like bad leaders, do we condemn them? Do we use hateful language to dehumanize them and scare people where they might be uh, arriving? Sure, we need to be planning for them. How can we share God's love with them? Now, on a, a positive note, let me share an anecdote that I've had um, close relationships with two um, refugee families who've come to this country. One from Eritrea, and more recently a family from Ukraine. And I have to say, South Gloucester Council has treated them very generously. It's found them accommodation and education and helped them get work. But I would also say that they've actually treated them with great kindness, which is something you might not think of officialdom. So actually there are good shepherds and we should celebrate those and give thanks for those. So how do we honor God's creation? I think we, could, we need to start by noticing it. We, if we notice, we will learn, and if we learn, we will respect. And most of all, perhaps the other side of this is actually we can learn new aspects of God by learning about his creation. So I was excited when uh, Dan uh, emailed me earlier this year to say that the environment is one of our seven areas of mission chosen by the leadership team here. And I was even more thrilled when I've actually been out and spoken to different groups here at Christchurch and said, can we do something together? And everybody has said yes. And in fact, they've said yes without hesitation. So I've spoken to Harriet and uh, the children's ministry. And in the last year, we've done pollinator surveys. We've done bee surveys. The weather hasn't always been great, but it's been a very positive experience for the children. And then for the youth groups, um, they've already do a lot with the environment in terms of tree planting, and I think they're out planting daffodil bulbs today. But with some help from South Gloucestershire funding, we've built a bug hotel, or actually, should I say, a bug palace. Go and have a look at it. It's at the back of the churchyard. And then it was fun this week uh, building bird boxes with the Ignites youth group, helping our young people to understand some of God's creation and where it fits. And then you may have seen on some of the screens before the service, Anita has pulled together um, some, a resource for um, One Church One Day, which is taking place this weekend, which is a resource for helping us go out in our prayer walks uh, to find some of the smaller aspects. So can we find a leaf? Can we find a piece of fungi? And try and appreciate in a prayerful manner where God is in that. Because if we save the fungi and the um, smaller parts of nature, we will also help to save the hero parts of the pandas and the, the snow leopards. Finding the sacred in God's creation. 
So finally, what's the third thing is, how do we be distinctive? How do we hold open the hope of God's deliverance? God promises to be the good shepherd. He's looked down and seen that there are no good shepherds. He says he will do it in some of the beautiful words from the reading today. So in verse 11, he says, for this is what the sovereign law says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel. Continues, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. This is a message that's core to our faith. And I think it's important that we overcome fatalism, where we say to people that you can't change what's happening. Live today, let tomorrow look after itself. We have to have that encouragement that's so important to all of us. We have to be distinctive. We have to show them God's promise and we have to show them the sacredness of the environment and God's creation. So there's a lot there and I hope you found some encouragement from that. So even somebody teaching two and a half millennia ago, very different circumstance, but in dark days uh, in the Israelite relationship with God and in with their own land. So first he talked about identification of the cause, taking personal responsibility. Be faithful to God and God's creation. And then looking forward to God's uh, covenant with us, to God's deliverance. So let us finally just hold on to the very tenant of our faith that it's not just us that loves the world. God created the world and loves it more than we do. As we know from John's Gospel, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Thanks be to God.